Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I got those in the wrong order. What has been on my mind today? Well, I have been thinking, first of all, about the topic of obedience, specifically when the scripture brings it up. One of the first things that comes to my mind that is quite interesting about the scriptures around this topic is the fact that obedience doesn't actually show up that often. It shows up for sure, but it doesn't show up that often when talking about God and our relationship with him. And what is the reality of obedience? What, what is obedience like in the real world? Let's imagine that you're a child again, and you have a tutor. And this tutor is extremely strict and stringent. If you get anything wrong on your studies, he's going to slap you with the rod. And uh, if you get something wrong, say, with chores, uh, this could be you know, something more like a boarding school, for example. The chores that you have to do, whether that be in a classroom or in the um, boarding school halls, whatever, uh, is going to give you a hard time, going to chew you out. And that kind of general behavior, just a real hard-bitten kind of uh, real jerk, really. And he keeps telling you how important it is to obey you. This is really his primary thing. You have to obey what I say. What I say is important. What I say is right. What I say is moral. And in addition to all of the rudeness and slappings around and chewings out, what he really loves to talk about is how much you need to obey him. And of course, you're a child. You're, whether it be in uh, charter school or boarding school or something like that, uh, well, yeah, you, you obey him. Why do you obey him? Because he's really nice to you? Because he uh, gives you reasons for everything that he's telling you to do? Most likely not. Um, no, no, he is quite a jerk, and he's forceful, and so on. Why do you obey him? Because you're essentially trapped, and he use, he's willing to administer the use of force. Now, let's say, in addition, that once you have grown up and uh, you're say, at college age or through college already, you find out that not only was he quite stringent and quite a jerk, but he was also cheating on his wife while you are at the boarding school. And, of course, that's perhaps a little bit of just desserts, because now that it's been discovered, you know, he's probably going to be divorced and a lot of his relationships are going to go to crap and so on. You might even be a little bit happy about the fact that he's now going through this having been revealed. But going back to the original question, if you find this out, do you, uh, you realize you did obey him, and he told you at the time that what he instructed you in was right and good and moral and so on. And maybe it was at some points. Maybe some of the things he said were in fact true. But did you obey him because he was in fact a moral paragon? No, obviously not. He was abusive towards you, and he was cheating on his wife. You obeyed him because, in effect, he had power over you. 
And this is what I'm trying to bring to bear. The reality of obedience is that it is essentially amoral. You need to obey somebody not because they are better than you, but because they have authority and power over you. And the fact of the matter is, most of the people who talk to you all the live long day about how you have to obey them and are willing to use force are, in fact, morally inferior to the people they are trying to force. Now, in so doing, they will try to bog down the morality of these people, be it children or what have you, soldiers maybe. And so lower and demean you and actually put you under them in the end if you submit to it. And thankfully, there are many people who do not. But they certainly cannot allow you to obey them only on the basis of them being actually better than you, because in fact, they are not. That's why they have to use force. And they will, of course, lie about the fact. They will try to pose and poise as if they are morally better than you. And to some extent, you have to believe them once again because force, because rudeness, because meanness, because power and authority. Now, hopefully, again, you realize that that was never the case once you've grown up and you can freely know the fact that they were, in fact, morally inferior. But at the time, they because they have to keep their power over you, must try to convince you that they're better than you. Now, it's a very different set of circumstances if the person who, to whom you are beholden, or the more common way of saying it, the one you are beholden to, is in fact actually better than you. And if the theology is correct, and I believe it is correct, then God is not only morally superior to you, he is eternally, unchangeably, unsurmountably, or insurmountably morally superior to us all. And it is in scripture that he tells us to obey him. The main point that I'm trying to bring up here is not to say that it's unimportant to obey. What I'm trying to say is that obedience is fairly basic, low, and amoral. It's important, but it can also be completely blind. Those who believed that obedience to God and his laws and rules and edicts and so on is the most important thing became Pharisees. Of course they did. Because to them, the only thing that really mattered was that God is superior and greater and so on. And in like manner to that, they found a way to have authority over the Israelite people and force them to obey them. They emulated not the God that is, but the God that they saw. The God for whom obedience is the only point. And as Jesus kept on pointing out to them, and as Christianity has continued to refer back to the law in stating, relationship is actually the thing. It doesn't cancel out the obedience. What it really is pointing out is that obedience is an early stage in the relationship. It is very much like a good parent and their children. 
A good parent is still going to ask their children to obey them, but to obey them for a very different reason. The parent is going to ask the child to obey them because they merit that obedience. In other words, they are in fact trustworthy. They are in fact trying to live a morally good life, to be virtuous, to be kind, to be generous, and so on. They are going to ask their children to obey them from time to time because they can be trusted. That means that they have to earn credulity. That means that they have to earn respect from their children. Otherwise, why would the children be motivated to do it? If they are in fact morally upright and trustworthy, then they have the credulity to ask for that. For example, in the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve understand exactly what it meant to die? Death, if you think about it, hadn't even entered the world. If the telling of the Adam and Eve story in Genesis is literal in pretty much every detail, right? Which I'm fairly convinced it was. It is a fairly poetic story and so on, as far as we know, written by Moses. Uh, but we suspect that it was by the very dictate of God. So maybe it was given in a way that we can understand, or maybe it was exactly literal. It's hard to say. But let's just take the story as it is in writing. Did Adam and Eve have any concept of what death was? Of course not. So upon what was it that God wanted Adam and Eve to believe him that they shouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's evil? Did they have any reason to know that? I don't think so. So God is telling them, if you eat of it, you will die. They probably have a general impression that that's a bad thing. What's bad? <laughs> you seeing how difficult this must have been? They didn't have a concept of bad, really. They probably just had some sort of sense of anxiety that this is something that dad... God doesn't want for us, whatever that means. Because everything else he did want for them, every other tree, every other source of food, all the animals and their relationship with them. You remember animals were not a source of food at the time. They didn't know what death was. They didn't know what evil was. They probably didn't even know what good was. Good was just everything that was. And then there was this one thing they were not allowed to have. So upon what was it exactly that God wanted them to obey him to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Trust, don't you think? If God had earned enough credulity with them for them to just go, okay, whatever all of these words and concepts and feelings mean, which we don't understand, we're just going to believe that God knows what he's talking about and not do it. What did the serpent coming into the picture say to Eve in order to change her mind? He didn't tell her anything false. He only gave her an impression of falsehood, which was the tearing down of the credulity of God. He basically told Eve that what God wanted was to not have any competition. You'll become like him. You'll become like God. You'll know good from evil. You'll be more like God if you eat from this tree. 
He tried to instill, as far as I understand the text, a doubt that God, in fact, wanted to keep equals out of the picture. He didn't want anybody to challenge him. Which, if you remember, that's exactly what Satan had already done. It's a very interesting way of looking at the story, is it not? And you could take, once again, a good parent with their child... Hopefully most of the things, and this is going to be part of what is going to give them credulity with their children, when they ask them to do this or that or are explaining to them this or that, they give them reasonable cause, rational explanations and arguments for whatever it is that they're telling them to do. Now, of course, they're going to dumb down the language because children still are grasping language if they're very young. They're going to explain it in such a way that the child can understand, but generally speaking, they're going to give good reasons for whatever they're saying or instructing or ordering their children to do. But there are going to be some times when the reason is either too complex or too a part of society that they haven't entered into yet or something like that, that the child will not be able to understand even if the parent tries to explain it. And the parent might know that or might discover that through the course of trying to explain it and failing to do so, at least to the child's understanding. So what can the parent do at that point? If the parent, once again, has not been cruel, has not been abusive, has not been immoral in their own lives, which is going to at least show up in some subtle way that the child will pick up on, shiftiness, the avoidance of certain topics, and so on and so forth, which viscerally does instill a lack of trust. Just think back on anybody who's been abusive towards you and the signs you could have seen ahead of time had you paid attention to them. Your heart knew, your gut knew, but your head needed to catch up. Children are the same way. In fact, most of us remember these things from our own childhood. Anyway, if the parent has been upstanding, virtuous, and so on, and comes to the point where they are telling the child to do something that can't make sense, well, what are they going to have to say? I just need you to trust me on this one. That's the way we are in healthy relationships with one another as adults as well. If it comes to a point of impasse, a lack of understanding, the incapacity for full understanding, I just need you to trust me. So once more, what I am saying is that obedience is at a very low level in relationship with our superiors, but it is not a bad thing in and of itself. If you stick only to obedience, you will not be able to distinguish necessarily between those who should be followed and those who should not be followed. Because, of course... The only thing that is required for obedience is authority, not morality, not goodness, not actual superiority in the real sense. If they have simply grasped authority, whether they have done it morally or through corruption, well, you have to obey them because they have authority over you. But the authority part of the structure is not where God ends the discussion. Yes, he wants his people to obey him, He wants his people to obey him because his instruction is actually good for us. Going back to the parent-child relationship, 
if what the parent is instructing the child to do is actually to the child's benefit, then hopefully through the course of time they see that. So they see that while they were partially only in a relationship of trust with their parents, what their parents were telling them to do was actually objectively and thoroughly good. And I don't mean perfect, right? I'm saying that in general, it was good. That's the same sort of thing God wants us to do when it is at the level of mere relationship of obedience. We obey him not because we understand, but because we can at least believe if we trust him that what he tells us to do is actually good. And then we can confirm that down the road if we care. Now, what does God also tell us to do? Be perfect as I imperfect. Or through Paul, be imitators of God, therefore, as good children. Why would somebody imitate another person? In other words, why would a person want to be like another person? There's the phrase, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Flattery has a negative connotation, but it's not necessarily always negative. It might be because we genuinely emulate, we look up so much to such a person that we almost can't help ourselves but start emulating that person. But to start emulating and then imitating that person, that is. Imitation and emulation come out of admiration. We respect and admire a person so much that we don't just want to obey them, we want to be like them. We want to adopt the same disciplines. We want to be in similar positions to that person or entity, as the case may be. We imitate out of desire, not because of authority. If you think about it, this can also be negative. It was negative with the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw God as somebody in absolute authority who demanded obedience. They, being very fond of that image, emulated that image. And many Christians still do to this day, becoming Pharisees in the process, though without the name or title. They use their great authority and their moral superiority because they know how to instruct, just like the Pharisees did, but they don't actually live it. All they really care about is being like the God they believe is God and emulate that. Admiration and respect is what leads to imitation. Now, going back to the bad tutor, the abusive one who is slapping you around and chewing you out. Did you grow up wanting to be like that guy? Of course not. Or if that was your parent, did you want to grow up to be like your parent? Most children who are raised up in that kind of a circumstance want anything but to be like those people. Now, unfortunately, very often, because they do not process their trauma, they end up becoming very like them anyway. But they keep talking all the live long day about how they want to do anything but become like that jerk. And often use much harsher terms. You know, two slangs starting with a B, for example. No, you absolutely do not want to become like that person. 
Now, again, the reason why not dealing with your trauma still ends up with you emulating and imitating those people is because we have to respect our parents and our elders as children because they have power over us. If we fail to obey them, if we fail to do what pleases them, we could end up in deep harm's way or even dead. What happens when you are no longer supplied food? Yes, starve. And they do, in fact, hold that bargaining chip, if you will, over us. They really, really do. But, again, it's not because you respect and admire them. It's because you had to. If you process that trauma, if you realize the truth, most people will completely stop emulating their abusive elders almost on a dime. This is something I've been saying in the last few days. If you are somebody who is trying to live morally and you admit that something you are doing is evil, that is the same thing as abandoning that behavior. So, what I'm getting at is that if you admit that something is evil and do not abandon doing that thing, one, you are not trying to live morally, and two, you are a hypocrite. You have not repented. You are not somebody who is trying to live morally. You are trying to appear to be a moral person. So you will admit that something is bad only for the sake of being able to get away with whatever you want to get away with. If you are somebody who is striving to live morally, then to admit that something you are doing is evil is to abandon that thing. Because living morally requires it. Requires the abandonment of evil. Anyway. Imitation is, in my opinion, the latter part of relationship with God. We start with obedience, yes. But there comes a point at which we acknowledge that he is good, that his authority is deserved, that he is kind, that he is virtuous, that he is just. And we want to be like that individual like our God. And God, in fact, tells us to do it. He wants us to become like him. That's not to say he wants us to become him. The very lie that Eve bought in the garden, if that was what Satan was really trying to get at or the serpent was trying to get at, is in fact totally false. God doesn't not want competition, so to speak. He wants us to become like him. There are so many scriptures that tell this. Psalms, Proverbs, in the New Testament. The imitators of God, therefore, as I already mentioned. Yes, obedience, but ultimately he wants us to actually be like him. Obedience is merely servile. It's subservient. It is putting the other person over us. Imitation is trying to become like or even an equal which is exactly what God keeps repeating that he actually wants. To begin sinning is to go horribly beneath him. To become perfect and to be good and to be, to be like God is in fact actually to become like him, which is what the serpent taught Eve to not do. It's very interesting. 
Competition is the very opposite of what would happen in that circumstance, by the way. We would become partners with him. Now, how do I know this? Because of what Jesus did with the disciples. When Jesus was coming towards the end of his journey on earth, or you might say his sojourn on earth, he turns to his disciples and he points out, you all have been calling me master, which is well of you because that is exactly what I am. But now I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. What did he just do? He took them from a position of servi- sorry, servitude, of subservience, as student to master, the kind of relationship where you would merely obey. And he is now saying, you I am placing on my level. I am calling you my friends. What do friends do? Friends choose each other. Friends want each other to be around. And as a result of that, I don't know how many of my listeners will have noticed this, but you automatically begin imitating each other. Why? Because you emulate each other, because you admire each other. You admire each other on the very basis of choosing each other as friends. You want to be like the person you choose as your friend. That doesn't mean in every single way. But you do want to be more like that person or you wouldn't have chosen that person as your friend. So emulation and imitation is natural. And you see that person as, in some sense, your equal. They're not necessarily below you or you below them. In certain attributes, sure, but not as an individual as a whole. Typically, our friends are peers in age, education, and many other things. Not exactly parallel, but close. For Jesus to call his disciples his friends is a great equalizing, and imitation, emulation, is natural. So he wanted more than for them just to be servile and subservient. He wanted them to, sorry, he wanted himself to rub off on them. He wanted it to be far more, he wanted it to be far more intimate and natural. He wanted the same kind of dynamic we find with our own friends. I personally find that after being close, genuinely close to somebody for, say, two weeks, I'm already starting to inflect certain phrases exactly the way that I do. Sorry, exactly the way that they do. Why? Because I admire and enjoy the way that they say those phrases. That in and of itself is already a predisposition to imitate those actions. Not because I want to take it from them or try to get the same sort of responses that they get. Maybe I do in some sense but I find it endearing. And if I find it endearing, I want to do the same thing. So I do. You begin to think more like each other. You adopt some of the same disciplines as each other. Whatever it is, once again, that you emulate, that you admire, appreciate, and respect in the other person. You begin to imitate. That is exactly what God ultimately wants us to do with him. And if we are imitating God, do we need to continue obeying him? Maybe sometimes, 
when there is an area of great ignorance within us that comes up again. But generally speaking, obedience is no longer necessary. It is now superfluous. Why? Because if we're imitating God, we're already going to be doing the things that he wants us to do. Jesus again, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's translated that way and the way we mostly read it in the scriptures. If you, if you love me, obey my commandments. There's usually an asterisk there and right at the bottom of the page. Or if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Really, you could see it either way. If you are trying to love God, you must obey his commandments at the start. Later on, if you actually love me, are intimate with me, are becoming my friend, you will obey my commandments. Because in a sense, you won't need to. Imitation is one of the greatest forms of flattery, yes. Exactly as it should be. Because what you are essentially saying is, I admire and respect and look up to this person. So I want to be like this person. I hope that gives you all a lot to think about today, as always. Till next time.